0: to link to the cast episode 136 on the show this week the future of xbox lands in may anthem has started toasting ps4s as if they needed any more bad pr academics want game companies to share details on loot boxes we expect only a seven percent chance of epic info and a law firm encourages shareholders to sue activision blizzard oh boy Uh, in the book club this week we talk about uh, an absolutely wild video game turned cartoon that was a staple of 90s life growing up it's earthworm jim let's start the program This is Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera, available everywhere good podcasts are sold. Apple Podcasts, Loud Stitcher, Spotify, and many more. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, joined as I am every week by the Dalit Budger himself, Mark Robinson. How are you, friend? They did a
1: fucking AMA on 8 huh? Are you fucking kidding me? How stupid. <laughs> I just a week, a week later. Week a,
0: half, a, week, a week and a half later, nearly. It, it it boggles the fucking mind, doesn't it? How?
1: I just I've listened to every like take um, that has been going, and and it's a kind of a universal thing that it's either.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say it's just one take.
1: Well, it, yeah, <laughs> but it's either. No
0: like, one's coming down on the side of okay. They did the they did no, no good here. It's
1: it's there's there's two takes that are kind of combined together. That is either, um, either your <laughs> PR department, which they have one job to do. Spe- failed so spectacularly to Google in, like, do a Google search for 8chan to see what that is, um, or more likely, they knew exactly what they were doing, which is clearly obvious from the original tweet that they put out saying, oh, I'm not sure why we're doing this, um, and was just, like, welcoming the PR and the, the the reception that they would get from it, and then didn't realize how negative of a rece- reception they would get. Mm. Nothing is going to top that this year. I'm sorry. I know we've had some other kind of world beaters that maybe in any other year would win. I, nothing well, is it nothing. Where... Nothing is getting the Konami well, Corner in my mind this. Again, this. is the this is the essence our... of what the Konami Corner for ineptitude <laughs> yes, award is.
0: Yes, I know. But we've also we we have had several years where legitimate incompetence has been trumped by legitimate nonsense. Uh, and eight chan is, are... is full of them. Eight chan
1: is full of them.
0: This is still applicable. There are a couple of uh, stories this year that, depending on how they pan out in the courts, may ultimately pip it at the post. Um, Legitimately, the more I think about it, the more I think either we have to rule out nonces from this category (laughs) or we have to have a nonce category, and I'm not really cool with either.
1: What a world we live in where that would become a thing, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, How are you this week, anyway, Uh, apart from... Blind with
1: rage That's That's been my week Just I wake up in the morning And last thing when I go to bed I'm just thinking THQ Nordic What Why uh, I'm fine um, Not much to report uh, I have not been able to yet partake In the consumption of pancakes um, uh, That will be my Friday uh, Because uh Mark on a Tuesday does drum lessons. So he's Tuesday was busy. And Mark
0: also refers to himself in the third person now.
1: When he's a drummer, yes, he he does.
0: <laughs> the Mark.
1: The Mark Robinson experience. That's uh <laughs> drummer extraordinaire. Um so yeah, so I was I was busy and I, I didn't get a chance to to have pancakes, so that will be uh on Friday because I can't do it tonight because I'm Doing this fucking thing with you and, um, and I don't feel like doing it on Thursday So, yeah are you,
0: are you still doing the vegetarian thing?
1: I am still very much doing the vegetarian You know what, I didn't even clock on Because when I got to the end of January uh, Into February I was like, okay, this is a big deal That I've now done a month And I've been a vegetarian It only clocked to me yesterday Like four or five days into March That it was like, oh yeah, that was another month um, But yeah, no, I'm still very much on the, the vegetarian train Choo-choo <laughs>
0: Uh, I actually did... Not um, sure how that's
1: applicable to pancakes, but go well, because
0: Well, uh, because not quite vegetarian, but I did... Uh, you, I did
1: if you had ribs on your pancakes, is this what you're going to
0: say? No, well, I did have rashers and sausages. I, I had a savoury pancake. Um, but uh, what I was going to say was I made vegan pancakes for the first time. Ah!
1: Okay, okay. How did they turn
0: out? Because the, the good lady wife is doing... Um, she's been vegan for a month herself, and her brother are, are giving it a go. Um, okay. So, yeah, I, I chanced my arm at a
1: was, was that her... Wait, no, because... Was that doing a veganary... Veganry? Is that what they call it? Veganry? Uh,
0: or? I think it's inspired by that kind of okay. stuff. But I think it's more a let's see if we can sort of thing. Sure. Um, but anyway... Yeah, I, I made it. And it, it's weird because two of the main constituent elements of pancake batter, at least the one I make, are milk, milk and, and eggs. eggs. <laughs> milk, eggs, so and eggs So what's this recipe with, flour? like, fucking so, vinegar
1: and uh avocado (laughs) or something vinegar and nightmares
0: uh no uh so this had let me think uh i made it with whole wheat flour um unsweetened almond milk uh a teaspoon of vanilla essence Mm -hmm. a tablespoon of baking soda and a teaspoon of extra virgin olive oil i think that was it. I, I
1: really enjoy listening to you read out ingredients for some reason. I've been
0: reading them off the top of my head here. It's, it's, it's
1: very calming. It's very soothing.
0: <laughs> Thanks very much. It's my dulcet tones yeah. coming into effect. How do they so turn out? Yeah, That's the important They actually thing. turned out. This was probably my most flawless year of pancakes. Now, maybe because it's the first time in eight years I haven't had loud blues music and at least four other people yelling at me as I'm trying to make them um that could because, partially be down to it but you did have a dog barking at you so that was yeah well it. no no we've, we've had a breakthrough on the barking so far oh, like, wow. he Probably will. now that i've said it he probably will bark during this but naturally uh no the the boy tobes uh we we adopted a new approach where if he barked at night like i'd literally walk down open the door ignore him for a couple of seconds and walk back out to kind of teach him that if he barks, he's not getting attention or food or anything like that.
1: Well, that's what you used to do with me, and it worked.
0: Yeah, it did eventually. Yeah, You did howl uh, something awful at night, though. I wanted attention, <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> uh, so that seems to have worked so far, so he doesn't really bark that much. Um, I,
1: I saw, um, it, just to go back to your pan- pancakes, that I saw an incredible video the other day where um, a person would take the bottom of the frying pan... Um, and it was It was, it kind of was shaped like a wok But it wasn't big enough to be a wok But it had that kind of curvature to it And they dipped the underside of it uh, Into like the batter And then they flipped it upside down And they cooked it on the, the uh, stove that way Or the hob uh, that way So like upside down effectively And it fucking works And there's no Abercrouch. like There's no flippature flipping required Because it just kind of cooks it like that way And it it looked like it worked And I was um i'm not sure how friday's gonna turn out but one is intrigued to try it
0: mm, uh, i tend to use the the real breakthrough for me well one i got two smallish non-stick pans specifically for doing pancakes um one year because i take uh, uh, as you will attest to mark i take my hosting duties very seriously yeah i would you've never been anything but a wonderful host um you and we would pancake. do we would do a thing called man blues day where we would play blues music and we would all eat pancakes when all you lads were living here
1: was it was it last year that i was working late so i got home and had to gorge about six pancakes down pretty quickly uh, before they went cold i th-
0: think that might have been the first year you were here possibly i think you were actually i think you were late back this the, the most recent time as well but i don't think it was as late like we had literally finished when you arrived because you missed ben eating the monstrous pancake didn't you
1: yes i did yeah
0: Yeah, so that was that year. Um, He ate a pancake with literally every topping we had, and we had many, many toppings that should not have gone together and didn't go together, but he still ate them, like marshmallows and cream and and honey and chocolate spread another kind of chocolate spread and rashers and sausages and lemon and butter and sugar. It was... uh, was quite a time but anyway yeah the the vegan pancakes came out very well they cook slightly differently um so that was kind of a bit to get used to but i didn't burn a single pancake this year usually kind of the the rule making pancakes is that you may as well write off the first batch you make Mm -hmm. like the first pancake in each pan Uh, it will burn but i didn't this year um i was very happy with that uh so that was that oh here's another thing that happened this week mark before we move on to video games the fucking snow
1: (laughs) Uh, well, I mean, in fairness, uh, it only came down for a couple of hours um, where I am, and then it was gone by the next yeah. morning. So it, com- to compared to it. what we had around this time last year, yeah. you know,
0: where we were literally told by the government not to leave our houses for four days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But there was a moment where it started to fall and I was just getting deja vu. like, oh, I got real fucking mad about it. Um, but yeah, thankfully, it, it didn't fall for too long now it wasn't really it fell for about half a day down here and it didn't clear until the following night but uh so i got work off but uh yeah i'm I'm not really liking this kind of we get winter then we get a little bit of spring and then we get just ballistic snowfall at some stage Mm -hmm. in march
1: uh i think it's fair to say the weather is fucked
0: yeah we're uh we're in the kind of It's fair to say it's a bit moist out now, it's Mm -hmm. um, it's raining quite a bit, but I was really enjoying, there was like a couple of 15, 16 degree days there in between. I know, Um, they were
1: awful. No uh one other thing i want to talk about um before it, it is video game related but we don't have it down and i think it it does need to be um
0: at least mentioned here this, um, this, this goes into this section does it
1: um it's going into this section just because i don't want to talk about it past it's going in here. Fucking,
0: um, fucking maverick if ever there was one
1: uh so sonic the hedgehog
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> oh boy uh what the fuck is that uh not like what the fuck is sonic Lynchian the hedgehog nightmare. because it's, it's you know what? Because it's very interesting. Because you've got um, this live-action Sonic the Hedgehog, and you have this live-action Pokemon movie, and it's like how to do one right and how to do one wrong. Yeah. And it's now
0: bear, bear in mind, obviously, we haven't that the films aren't out yet. So no, no. It could just be a case of Detective Pikachu has a very well-cut couple of trailers.
1: You know what? I find it hard to believe that that film won't, at, you know, at minimum, just be a. It doesn't have to be a great film, but I think it will be an enjoyable film. I I can see Sonic the Hedgehog the movie just from the character model alone, um, and also the the promotion material. It being like Sonic two thousand six levels of bad.
0: Mm.
1: Um, I'm kind of hoping for that as well.
0: I will say now that we heard the full render of what Sonic looks like. It's bad. It's not as bad as I had been worrying. I thought it was going to be a little bit more kind of anthropomorphized, which would have been—I never would have slept again after seeing that—the <laughs> version of Sonic I had in my head. So yeah, it's just—it's it, it, real bad. It's just not like scary to look at. Bad. It's just—it's just, it's just <sighs> it's Sonic. Weird.
1: Sonic in any other kind of character model other than like the original early '90s version of Sonic, which was this kind of well looks a little bit more like a hedgehog it was shorter it was just more i you don't know just just smaller you know it didn't have the long gangly legs that just make it look like yeah again some sort of fucking nightmare and they've really they have really kind of like doubled down on that version of sonic and I, just it just does it. no it looks more like a werewolf than a hedgehog and we've already had a game where he's a werewolf.
0: Were- werehog.
1: Or a werehog. And that wasn't any good either. Yeah. Okay. I'm done.
0: You're done now. You've got I, your eventing out. Think, like. I think I'm done. I'm glad to be here for you to be your therapist couch every week on uh, the programme.
1: Yeah, I think I think we've gone to the point that this is what this is done for now. But,
0: I uh, think we're overdue some video game chats. Yeah, we got him. Go him. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy Two. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, you've been scooting around on them motorbikes? Yeah,
1: boy. Been playing me some Trials and pretending it's 2010 again. What's and this ha-
0: one called? Trials Rising? Trials
1: it? Rising. I mean, it might as well have been called fucking Trials Apocalypse or Trials Resurrection or whatever. Trials yeah. Revengeance. Trials Revengeance. For- <laughs> If only
0: That's not even even the last time that's been brought up on this show (laughs)
1: Uh, uh, So um, Trials is As I've heard it been described um, Elsewhere uh, Trials Rising is a Trials-ass Trials video game And that is good Because I kind of fell out of fashion With Trials uh, Around about the time of I think Evolution or Fusion Or um, one Fusion of, was
0: the PS4 one, wasn't
1: it? I think so. Yeah. um And they started to add bells and whistles to a degree that I just felt like the the core essence of what a trials game uh, had kind of been lost. But I also understood that you know you can't like, you can't just keep making you know a, a variation on the same theme.
0: Yeah. Um, they did like a Far Cry crossover, didn't they? Trials of the Blood Dragon.
1: They did. They did do that as well. You know, they they went to town on it. Um, but it got to a point where it's like, okay, I've had enough of this thing. I'm good. And, uh, you know, enough time has passed that uh, I felt like I felt ready to, to try another Trials game. I think the last one I really enjoyed was they had the one on, um, on tablet. And I think, I don't know if it was on mobile, but I had it on my iPad. And that version was was a lot more streamlined and a lot more kind of stripped back to the core essence because obviously it was a, a, a tablet version and that worked really well. So uh, Trials Fusion, if you've played the Trials game, you pretty much know what to expect. You have um, a, a straight path that kind of uh, navigates around a, a 2.5D Uh, environment Um, the controls are based on you tilting the bike back and forth uh, to distribute the weight um, according to kind of what you're trying to do whether you're trying to you know get yourself up a ramp so you're trying to push forward to make sure that the bike doesn't tilt backwards or trying to kind of even the bike out uh, so you know you're adjusting to the ramp that you're about to come down on it follows the formula that you know of a trials game And, and all of that works well uh, I think um I've played a fair amount of levels i'm I'm kind of uh, i'd say i don't know, halfway through uh the medium uh tier difficulty levels in the game uh which are usually my favorite levels in a trials game because they hit the right balance between being challenging um but also still kind of requiring a fair amount of speed um where you know the the hard levels are usually kind of based on just very difficult tricky maneuvers to pull off and they're just very stressful um and all of those levels I'm, I'm really enjoying um the the variation in the levels you know you've got everything from Hollywood backstops to uh Pripyat to uh you know kind of stereotypical traditional uh kind of asian themes um to you know the countryside of england you know they they mix it up they're, they're nice they're varied um and they they're just very well designed you know um I, I can never really fault red links when it comes to the design of their levels um, and they keep things fresh they keep things varied and that all works really well uh, my biggest issue i have with trials is everything that isn't racing a bike around a track um trials has followed into the same trap that on rush fell into which was hey what do games like overwatch and um mm. we'll just go with overwatch what's the big thing it's loot boxes it's um not so much of overwatch in terms of like the customization of the character uh, Fortnite, Fortnite, would be the best example hey, let's give you a character avatar that you can add taunts to, and you can add, um, you know, you can customize, and you can customize the bike, and let's put this all behind, you know, a loot box system. And I just don't care for any of that. I have no interest in, I, I, I'm i completely fine with the idea of, hey, when you complete a level, you get given a, a specific kind of piece of, uh, um, you know, appearance gear for the, for the bike that you can customize. Sure, I have no issue with that. But it just it takes so much time away from what I care about, and um, Onrush did it as well. And I just I have no time for it. I'm not the intended market for that. There's probably people playing Trials for the first time and have come from Fortnite or whatever, and they're into that. Good for them. Yeah, doesn't do anything for me the other issue is that it
0: is is that kind of stuff that the loot is it overly invasive on your experience or or can you for the, the most part kind of ignore it
1: oh you can ignore it um it does have the whole it, you know you can purchase a pack for 149 and going upwards and purchase uh those loot boxes um but i have a uh a, a pack of about like 30 to 40 loot boxes just tucked away at the moment and you can't open them like all in one go. They have to be opened individually, which takes a fair few seconds. And I just—they're just—they're gonna, going to stock up because I have no intent, I have no desire to open them up. It's just it's a complete—it's um, just not a, a necessary part of the experience of trials for me. Um, yeah. It's not invasive, no, I won't say that, but it's completely unnecessary, and I feel it could have been streamlined a lot more. Um, and it's just you know. Part of the issue as well is that the game, and I don't always like for other versions, but for the PS4 version, um, going between levels is uh, really slow. It's it's got some real weird technical issues going on um, in terms of the time it takes to go into a level to load up a level is fucking takes forever. It can take up to a minute. Um and in that time you have like a, a lobby with all the different uh other avatars that will be part of that race as well, or like the other ghosts that will be on that track with you. And they have their um, you know, taunts and they have their outfits that they're wearing. And that's really the only time where you get to see kind of anything up close and personal about what that character looks like. And it's like it's a thing that is there to help with a problem that shouldn't exist, which is when I click on a level, and certainly in a game like Trials, I want to be in that level within, you know, 10 seconds.
0: Yeah, I would think that would be a, almost a necessity for the experience. Yeah,
1: now once you're in the, the level, like the reload times are very quick, very snappy, because it's that kind of game. But actually getting into the levels is a fucking chore. And um, that is. It's that, and there's also... The, the game is really... And again, this is just for the PS4 version. There's some weird like times where uh, the game just kind of hitches, just freezes up. Like, you're in the middle of a race, and the game will freeze up for like two seconds. Um, and it's not ruined any of my runs, but it's something that is a constant that I don't really remember the other uh, Trials games doing. I remember there have been times where um, textures will kind of pop in and out, um that's a pretty frequent thing but um that doesn't take away from you know me actually get getting through the level um but i've had a couple of times where the game has kind of f- frozen up for for anywhere from a second to 2 seconds uh and also i've had it t- at times where the game is just frozen up in the lobby when it's kind of loading into the level to the point where um it it crashed the game once um that was on the first day that i bought it hasn't done it since but i feel like it's come close to crashing on a couple of occasions So it has some weird technical stuff going on that I'm hoping will be patched um, because they're kind of pretty crucial to the trials experience, and I'm just really hoping that they um, speed up the the load times because it's it's painfully slow at the moment. Um, And like the overall, uh, like the way that you get into levels is you have an overworld map, and um, you start in America. Uh, And it has like different kind of pins that are for specific levels that are dotted around the map. And you make your way over to Europe, Middle East, Asia, so on. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head how the old Trails games used to be. But all I know is I don't need any of that. All I need is just give me a list, a menu of levels. And let me see, um, or even let me kind of customize and filter, um, you know, who has the quickest lap time or... More importantly, who of my friends that are in my friends list have the quickest lap times? Because they're realistically who you're going to be competing against. I mean, if you want to compete against those that have the genuine genu- fastest lap times, then sure. But I, um, me and friend of the show, Matt Niner, he's the only one on my friend list at the moment that has the game, where <laughs> I'm, I'm just kind of comparing my times to his. And the only way I can see it is I have to load into the level, which takes up to about 15 seconds, I can then see his uh, lap time and then I can either decide to do the level which can take anywhere from another 30 seconds onwards to load into the level or I can come back out to pick another level and it's just not it's not a fluid experience Um, and I don't know you know they wanted to have this fancy presentation with this open world map and it works in theory to a degree but it's not as it's just not a fluid game it's not streamlined game for what that kind of game is um, but once I'm in a level and I get into my zen like mode I'm there and I'm playing Trials and it feels good and it's that kind of game that I want to have um, so you know if you like Trials by all means this uh, this is more Trials and I, uh, I heartily recommend but it does just have a couple of like those sort of quality of life design choices that mm-hmm. um, don't really feel like they were f- planned out or thought or out as well in the execution uh, as they may have appeared on paper.
0: It's a shame hearing some of that because um, to be honest I would have um, been tempted if it was at a reasonable price at some stage on Switch but based on what you're saying about how long the levels are taking to load initially, I I only despair at the thought as to how long it would take on Switch if that's how long it's taken on PS4. Have you heard anything about that?
1: Um, so I don't know about the Switch version. The issue that I have heard with the Switch version, well, the two things I've heard is there are some kind of weird uh, technical uh, issues as well, but I don't know if they're specifically related to load times. The bigger issue is that um, because the Switch doesn't have analog triggers... Um, the mm. way that it controls is entirely different and it's just, it's not the way to play trials. Um, and apparently using the pro controller doesn't, uh, adjust that. So if you want to play it and you want to play it as it's meant to be, uh, you need to play any version that isn't the switch version.
0: Okay. Um, I suppose I'll go to what I've been playing.
1: I really want to hear about
0: Ape Out. I've been playing Ape Out. Uh-huh game of the year yeah <laughs> cool all right there we go that's what it's i needed to hear fucking, it's over it's done give the Konami corner award to all the nonsense give game of the year to ape Out. we're done here okay cool a lot of time saved oh fuck this game is so much fun mark
1: okay how hotline miami is apel oh,
0: well so let's reel back a little bit and um ape out it was a game that we saw very briefly and it wasn't until it was mentioned to me that we saw it last year at this uh, it was on the devolver digital press conference last year and i remember thinking it was interesting at the time and then it just went to the deep recesses in the back of my uh the back of my brain and then it just came out last week um so it's published by devolver digital but it's by a guy called gabe Cazillo um and yeah, essentially it is like a Hotline Miami uh, that kind of top-down melee combat sort of situation um, but a very instead of that kind of uh, washed-out neon-y colour palette that you've got in in Hotline Miami this is a very minimalist sort of art style really stylized as well I, 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 I'm I'm as much as the game is fun and challenging, and we'll get to that in a second, I fucking love this game's style more than anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, both in terms of the art and... You, but you play uh, an ape who... The the kind of gimmick of every disc in this game... It, it calls them discs as opposed to chapters. Uh, every disc in this game... Uh, is that you break out of a cage and you have to work your way out of this complex or this building or what have you um, level by level and um, if you die at any point it takes three shots there are guys uh, dotted around each level Um, with guns and if you are hit three times or with some of the more powerful weapons i don't think it takes three times but if you are killed you have to you have to return back to the start of the sequence which is usually about four levels so you are required essentially to complete four levels almost perfectly to advance to the next series uh of four and um as well as the visual style it's got a hell of a sound design to it not only is the kind of the sound of smashing people into a wall or the sound of the guns very satisfying but as well the music for the game is uh pretty much entirely unless i'm mistaken percussion based and the kind of in a very tetris effecty way where uh, completing a tetris would add on another layer of instrumentation to the point where it then becomes a full kind of orchestra swell and towards the end of a a level uh in this it's layers of percussion coming in as you kind of as things get more frantic throughout the level Um, and just you know as you throw a guy into the wall uh there'll be a massive cymbal crash and then kind of the the drums pick up pace that the the more you go through the level so it really kind of gets the adrenaline going gets you wanting to move fast Um, in terms of the controls are very very simple uh you use your right trigger to smash somebody or throw them at the wall um, and use your left trigger if you're quick enough to grab somebody and point them in the direction of you know you can then point them in the direction of other enemies with the right stick and their weapon will go off and the idea being that you can try and eliminate them with uh, the, the guy you're holding's bullets uh, failing that you can just throw guy one at guy two and they smush in a massive puddle of blood which is great um but that's the, the that's the, basically the conceit of it and it's, it's very simple which is great and um from then the the kind of the intrigue and the challenge comes from just ramping up the difficulty of the um of the levels as you go through um so each chapter or each disc has a side a and a side b which are the kind of the side a are the The basic sequences of levels where you're where you they kind of one by one introduce you to the new things that will be in this chapter if there is any so you kind of get a feel for it and the side B is the more challenging stuff uh leading you to the end of that disc um and from what i understand from what i've read about the game i haven't read too much because i've just been i've just been playing it um one of the things that gets praised apart from i think the phrase that's used a lot uh for the 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 way the sound is designed uh, is reactive music is what uh, devolver digital call it where the the soundtrack kind of reacts to uh how fast and how furious you're playing but uh the other thing i i've heard uh, a lot of praise for is that in each level there's kind of there are fixed the start point, the end point, and if there's sometimes when you get to there's a chapter called High Rise, I think it's called, uh, where every so often it won't be you're usually crossing left to right or right to left um to get out the door on the far side of where you started to go to the next level. Um at a certain point it gets added in that occasionally there will actually be a little bridge. At the bottom or at the top to take you into a different building that you will then work down in um, after that. But apart from the fixed points in the levels, the obstacles in each level are procedurally generated. So you can't really go from memory as to where you know if you start on the right hand side, the door is somewhere on the left hand side and vice v- or vice versa. But the points and obstacles and enemy placement in between those two points is random. Um, So the same left to right progress, like if you watch me play level one or side or side A of disc one, it won't resemble, except in the very few fixed points, uh, anything to do with what I did uh, when you play it. Uh, so that kind of, it adds an extra challenge in that way that you can't go, okay, I know that it's like three steps to the the right and then down and then across and then up and then across again uh, to get to the end. And there are kind of, there are doors that open and shut. There are sequences where you have to go through kind of um long corridors and you have to really think about okay grab the first guy throw him into the second guy or grab the first guy use him as a shield There are, uh, is a point where you are able to rip doors off hinges to go down corridors and you can hold the the uh the door in your hands until you get nice up close to them and then you can throw the door and flatten a whole bunch of people in one go um there is a surprising amount of as much as the game encourages speed that you kind of the more you stick around the the less lucky you're going to be because occasionally you'll clear out a couple of guys and then sirens will go off doors will open and then maybe six or eight more guys come out and you literally won't be able to get to all of them quick enough before you get shot to bits um so it does value speed in that way but it also values strategy in in those kind of when you get to those corridors or you get to a, a kind of a precision and a strategy uh, is definitely I- encouraged in this game. I just, Mark, I love it so much. Um, I, I've already gotten through. Um, I believe I'm I'm right at the the tail end of um, disc or disc three, and in that one. So I've gone through the first one. I've gone through the high rise one, which is quite challenging, and now on the side of the disc I'm on at the moment instead of going through um, kind of level, and level, and level, and level, and checkpoint, it's one super long procedurally generated tunnel um, that is much more punishingly designed or punishingly randomized than uh, in, in previous disks where it's kind of, this is the point where it's separating the wheat from the chaff, the people that may have been able to brute force their way through to this point uh, from the people who are actually thinking about what they're doing um i think you're going to really like this game uh it's also got every disc once you complete it has an arcade mode uh that i i don't know whether that's you can go in and kind of like pick out a sequence to play or what what that involves and you can also then go back and do it on a harder difficulty as well and i i <laughs> that will probably be up your masochistic streak uh but maybe not for me for some of them anyway that's for sure uh and it's only like 15 quid as well I think. Yeah,
1: is... I, I saw the the price of it. Although it seems like it's a uh, it's a relatively short game. Um, so
0: yeah, I'd say it only take a few hours. Yeah, um, to beat. Uh, and then, of course, the because it's procedurally generated, and because there are uh, there's an arcade mode and there's additional difficulty settings, uh, that's where the replayability comes in. As opposed to there being this incredible gripping story, you're just an ape who's trying to get out. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I really want to uh, play that. It looks, it looks like. Something. I'm I'm intrigued to see because of the the fact that it has that kind of procedural generation feel to it. Like Hotline Miami, um, and games like Rayman Origins and Super Meat Boy, they at times feel like a kind of a rhythm action game in terms of if you have just certain beats and certain points and a certain path that you kind of work with. Um, but because this has the procedural generation I'm, I'm curious to see how the the flow of the game feels because you're not kind of you know uh, working to to figure out the exact line to say right I'm gonna hit that guy then move here then hit that guy then move that then hit that guy and you kind of do a trial and error with um you know figuring out your exact line because this has the the procedural generation I'm, I'm curious to just see how and how the feel of the flow of each level uh differs or com- compares
0: yeah. I, I would describe it as immensely satisfying. Um, if you want, if you're not sure if you're on the fence based on my description, uh, I would say go to, there's uh, an Ape Out Unleashed gameplay trailer on the Wolver Digital's YouTube channel. There's also a quick look that Giant Bomb have done. Basically watch the first 30 seconds of either of those, and it's the first 30 seconds of gameplay from the first level, and you'll know. In that 30 seconds, whether this is a game you want to play or not, mm-hmm. uh, because that's what it took. Uh, I had complete, like I said, I completely forgotten this game, put it in the back of my head. Uh, I Then I, I saw people saying it's pretty good. And then I put on the literally as people were saying that I saw the giant palm and put up the quick look, uh, went and checked it out. And I'd say not much longer after the 30 seconds, I was firing up my, I was, <laughs> well, I firstly had messaged you guys and said, ape out looks great and then later on that evening i found out it was on switch i knew it was coming to switch but i didn't know it was day and date with the pc version and then i immediately bought it um yeah ape out is a fucking hell of a game we're having a really like a really kind of low key good start to 2019
1: Uh There's some good stuff Uh, out there
0: yeah so i'm pretty happy and that's without any of the like the real big boys i think the first one of those is next week because devil may cry is out on friday
1: Yeah, oh, Jesus Christ.
0: (laughs) Which I have preloaded and ready to go. I
1: don't have any time. I
0: know, right? And that's, it's come to, it's on, um, the reviews started to break just before we recorded this, and it looks like it's very, very good. (sighs) So I'm very happy about that. Cool, I look forward to playing that in November. (laughs) Indeed. Um, Let's now go from what we're playing into the news this week. News. News this is a kind of cool little thing and i'm hoping mark that kind of going forward for the maybe the next generation of consoles that this is the kind of there's this kind of skew is offered by default but it sounds based on uh, reporting within the industry that there is going to be a discless xbox one x released in may um, and they're aiming for, and I quote, near global simultaneous launch. Um, this is cool. Um, you know, we talk about the all digital future and how, like, I've had my <laughs> I've had my Xbox since uh, when did those consoles come out? 2013. So I've had my I've had my Xbox since 2014. And um I would say in that time, I've probably only bought about six disc-based games for it. Um, I bought a few more for my PS4 and my my Switch, but still, like generation on generation, I've never bought less physical media uh, than I have this generation. So, um, yeah, this it it sounds cool. Um, the the rumor is that it's going to be released at a sub two hundred US dollar price point. Um. It will depend, I I think, before I turn over to you, for me, I think the clincher on this, if I was to be someone interested in this, uh, the clincher would be how big is the hard drive, I think.
1: Yeah. Um, Obviously, if you're doing a diskless version, um, you're going to need, considering the size of games these days, uh, at minimum, you're going to need a terabyte, I would say. Um,
0: If if this was... A two terabyte hard drive that is deal done you know what i mean yeah uh, um, I, I
1: think the thing for me isn't even so much um what they do with this release uh, i think you were saying there about like with the next generation will they have a uh a discless variant version of you know the ps5 or whatever microsoft have um or they have discless version discless versions of them at launch to go to coincide with the standard release um because you are right and I'm with you that um this is the the generation of consoles that I have spent the the least amount of money on physical versions of games yeah. um and I don't think that the physical version of a game is ever going to go away unless the the, the entire uh, business model of of um companies change and we go towards a more uh, Netflix-style platform, which is a, a, a possibility in the future, but we're not there yet. We don't have the technology. We don't have, um, you know, enough players with uh, powerful enough uh, internet to to make that internet connections to make that work. So, you know, physical uh, consoles are still going to be a thing for uh, the the foreseeable future. But this is. Um, you know this is a big this is a bold thing and they they have to get it right at launch because uh, you know microsoft is still coming from behind that if they have a uh a version of this console that's in the right price range um you know i i'm really curious to see how this does uh and to see kind of how receptive uh players are to it and what it comes with at launch as well
0: yeah there's been some good stuff um the, the Game Pass service is adding some more stuff to it. I believe Just Cause 4 is already shown up on there. I saw a tweet from Barry earlier about that. Um, So I, I think the combination, if you were interested, uh, if you got the discless Xbox One S and it had a decent um, hard drive in it, combine that with a Game Pass subscription, I think if you're somebody who f- has waited this long to get on that generation this generation of consoles i think that is excellent value um i think barry put it and it, i i could not put it better myself so i'm going to steal the quote from barry and he said something like just cause for already being on that service is like when you see a trailer for a movie and you're like oh holy hell i'd really like to see that and then you find out it's already out on netflix and can just watch it immediately um so yeah, that's kind of the great thing about that Game Pass service is that there's a whole rake of games on there um, that it, if you if you were somebody who has had these consoles, like if you're somebody like me who's had a PS4 since launch and had a an Xbox One since kind of maybe six, seven months after launch, it doesn't represent a huge amount of value to me, the Game Pass service. But if you're just hopping on now or if you've missed out on a lot and are trying to catch up, I think Game Pass is remarkable offer especially with the whole kind of every first party game will be released day and date on game pass for no additional cost um yeah but pretty i'm 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 glad microsoft is trying some outside the box shit you know
1: well i think it's the kind of thing that when you're pushed up against the wall you have to do these things and you know they they found the um parts of the gaming industry that they could uh you know really tap into that Sony had overlooked and stuff like backwards compatibility um you know the the amount of effort they've put into their game pass features um and yeah this this is another thing that though I don't think is as you know, I don't think it's as much of a selling point as, as something like the backwards compatibility is. Um, you have that combined with this, and you have a, a tidy little feature there. And uh, again, I think it, it's, it's going to come down to the price point and uh, being at a, a price that players who haven't already purchased a, a Xbox One of any variety, um, you know, if at this point they still feel compelled to buy one, because, you know, one of the big games that microsoft were hanging their head on was crackdown 3 and that hasn't exactly lit the world on fire so yeah it's a good idea Uh, i i think it's a a thing that should be done i think sony should absolutely have this for whether it's the ps4 or more likely the ps5 um but i don't know how well it's going to do because i just i still don't think like unless you are really inclined to uh build up a back catalogue of uh, games from the the backwards compatibility side of things I just don't know how necessary it's going to be a purchase for players that don't already have an Xbox One
0: Mm. Yeah, true enough true enough Um, Anyway, moving on (laughs) So Anthem we talked about last week critically not doing too well Um, and now have it, did you see this story or is this the first you've seen No, I've, I've
1: seen and heard and it's
0: <laughs> to talk us through what's happening here
1: all right so um there had been reports that the uh, the ps4 version of anthem uh yeah there were reports that for some reason the game was uh crashing like hard crashing um the uh, the console uh, to the point that you know when you, if you turned off your PlayStation 4 without doing the, um, you know, turn into rest mode or first before switching it off, or just you know switching off as you would through the game, the console itself, instead of doing like a hard uh, hard uh, switch off, um, you would then when you turn it back on, you would get like the hey you didn't turn your PlayStation off correctly, we need to help, need, now need to uh, potentially kind of format your console to make sure there's no issues. Um, but yeah, the game somehow was, you know, bricking uh, consoles, uh, which in the the pantheon of things that uh, a game can do to uh, crash or to be buggy, bricking your console is about as bad as it can get because, uh, uh-huh. you know, that can do potentially irreversible long-term damage to the console itself. So EA uh, finally uh, acknowledged that the game was hard-crashing PS4s and they've asked fans to help diagnose the issue via their EA Answers HQ message board. Uh, Let me again, as I said, I think I said last week, thank fuck I didn't get that community management job. Uh Uh, These crashes are not just closing the game client, they're suddenly switching off the entire PS4, as if you'd, you know, yanked out the console's plug. Um, I think I remember... I can't remember if it was... On the Beastcast or the Bombcast, but one of them had mentioned that they had had this issue once. Um, now, apparently, uh, yeah, there've been reports that some um, players have had their PS4 bricked, but it's not something that um, you know uh, journalists and people or you know people looking into this have been able to uh, repeat themselves. I'm not sure why you'd want to, but yeah, it does seem to be happening fairly widely, um, and this is something that EA need to address very, very quickly because Anthem, you know, itself not a game that is, again, like a Crackdown 3 um, hasn't lit the world on fire this is kind of the last thing that fucking game needs right now
0: Yeah, it's um, it's just... <laughs> One of those, like, a real Frank Spencer, it's like you got your hand stuck in the sink and then you managed to wrench your hand free and then walked in and got your foot stuck in a bucket and then fell down the stairs sort of things.
1: And and the the amazing thing as well, like, this is happening across all PS4 models, apparently. Like, this isn't even specific to, like, one version of the console, it's all versions.
0: Yeah, it's... Man, this game is just toast. Like, the fact that they're already offering refunds is...
1: Yeah, between that, I mean, I you know, um, I don't know if this will will be down as like biggest disappointment of the year, but um, hottest mess maybe. You know, if you're looking Mm. at giant bomb categories, Uh, this is so far uh, this has been an abject failure across all boards, and I EA are going to have to do a Herculean effort to turn around the, the you know at this moment the. Uh, perceived image of what this game is because it's just it's come out of the the track that have the stables you know with two broken legs and mm. this and now it's breaking brick your consoles as well nah, it's just not good
0: it's not good yeah it's rough it's, it's absolutely rough speaking of rough uh, valve has come under fire this week because there I mean, it happens every now and again yeah there anything goes we'll accept any game on the service policy really bit them in the mm. hoop again here uh As they put a sexually explicit game glorifying rape uh, listed on Steam. Uh, Val, I'll read from a Eurogamer here. Uh, Val's Anything Goes content policy has come under fire once more as a game enabling players to control the choices of a menacing serial killer rapist is listed on Steam. Needless to say, some might find the following upsetting. So, you know, trigger warnings and all that for sexual assault Uh, Rape Day created by developer Deskplant is a visual novel with 500 images and over 7,000 words that according to its Steam page enables players to verbally harass, kill, and rape women as they choose to progress the story. Its contents include violence, sexual assault, non-consensual sex, obscene language, necrophilia, and incest. The accompanying sexually explicit screenshots are as unpleasant as its text su- description suggests.
1: Now, if this developer had done an AMA on H this yeah. would at least make more sense. It would, it
0: would absolutely... Yeah, the, those two go You go. Yeah, that that seems that seems right. Well, not right, but it seems you know that seems applicable. Your head would make the connection between a yeah, chat yeah. in a game. Um. So, according to Valve's own developer guidelines, a store page and game build must pass through a brief review process before it can go live. This is designed to ensure that submissions are configured correctly and running as expected, and not doing anything harmful. There is no suggestion, however, that content review is part of the process indeed following the controversy around school shooting game active shooter in may last year i'd forgotten about that uh valve announced that it would be changing its content policy to allow everything onto the Steam store except for things which we decide are illegal or straight up trolling funny that um,
1: do you know what's amazing uh is that if you use the word rape in the comments when talking about a game uh valve has it uh set in place that it will uh block those words being used yeah, bit of a problem if you don't have that in place for the actual name of the game as well. Yeah. And possibly more the contents of the game.
0: It's funny that kind of it almost seems when it suits them they can uh develop these systems to stop certain things they want to stop happening happening, mm-hmm. but they're just they don't seem to be bothered about stuff like that. Uh there's a lot more about kind of how it just the, the tone of this article is that it's astonishing in spite of repeated promises from Valve to review their uh content policy how they've managed to let something like this uh slip through the net um is it hope... that
1: astonishing i don't think it is
0: uh, yeah that's i guess um but yeah that's that's not so good my friend not so good um Here's a thing we haven't talked about in a few weeks, and that's the idea of British Parliament looking into uh, loot boxes because they haven't got much else going on at the moment. Um, So, again, from Eurogamer Emma Kent, uh, remember the parliamentary inquiry on immersive and addictive technologies that opened last month? Well, things are moving very quickly, and the Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee has already hosted three oral evidence sessions featuring a variety of gambling and technology experts. Last Wednesday's session focused on topics relating to game addiction and addictive mechanics in video games, such as the dreaded loot box. I watched the session in its entirety and found the witnesses made a number of fascinating comments regarding game addiction and gambling mechanics in games. Among these include calls for the games industry to be more open with their idea, uh, with their data, sorry and collaborate with researchers to ensure studies and regulations are fair. A recurring theme throughout the session was that there simply isn't enough research on video game addiction and addictive mechanics, and this is partly due to the lack of data available to researchers. As highlighted by Dr. David Zendel from York St. John University, there are actually only seven studies on the effect of loot boxes using empirical data, and he is the lead author of four of them. Um, They emphasize the need for longitudinal studies, Rather than correl- uh, correlational studies, which tend to be less accurate as they rely on secondhand evidence, and um, the result. Uh, These also cannot chart development, making it more difficult for researchers to discover the causes of a particular phenomenon. I don't have access to the kind of data banks game companies had. Dr. Zendel said, if you had access to that kind of data or the industry was willing to work in a cooperative way with researchers, we'd very quickly be able to clear up many of the most important issues with loot boxes. We're scrabbling around in the dark here, lighting little candles around us, and they've got flashlights. Um, So, yeah, I, I think the the calls from dr Zendel and others are uh, very fair that if we want to get to the bottom of whether these are what the deal is with loot boxes and addiction and things like that we should in a in an ideal world uh, get our hands on empirical data from game companies that that would help in that respect but <clears throat> i would imagine uh, game companies have a bit of a dog in the race for empirical data that would indict them in any way not to be handed over. So it's kind of a, yes, this would be an ideal world, but I can't see how many of the big boys would be willing to hand over all this data. Uh, I think to
1: be even more cynical about it, uh, loot boxes make a fuck ton of money. And uh, considering the restrictions and regulations that have already been put in place in countries like Belgium, um, if that was to become something that would be uh, you know, I think we've d- discussed this before, but if that was put in place, you know, across say like the European Union um, That would have a rather large detriment- detrimental effect on publishers and de- developers' uh, bottom line um, Now again, uh, for someone like me, I couldn't care less because, uh, you know, that is, that is just... I want developers and publishers to make money. I want games to be successful. I just, I have never found um, loot boxes to be anything that adds to the quality of a game's experience. And it's just, it is there to make as much money as possible. And mm. uh, that is the, you know, I'm not completely a, you know, down with capitalism kind of person. But you know, that's one of those areas where I'm just like, this is a completely unnecessary thing to exist. And it only serves to. Uh, potentially uh, impact people that have gambling problems or have those kinds of addictions uh, to spiral out of control very quickly.
0: Yeah, it's... um, I just... It's so kind of... It's like the point Jim Sterling always harps on when he talks about loot boxes and AAA developers, where it's like they're not happy to have huge amounts of money they're not just happy to have record-breaking revenue they want more of the money they want all of the money uh it's just never enough for some of these big guys um and speaking of which that kind of leads us into our next story speaking of the big boys uh activision blizzard uh could be at risk of a some sort of class action lawsuit Uh, Another law firm has joined the push to find a lead plaintiff against Activision Blizzard on behalf of shareholders, accusing the publisher of misleading them over the end of its partnership with Bungie. Uh, Kaczynski Law PLLC is inviting anyone who purchased shares between August 2nd, 2018 and January 10th, 2019 to submit their losses for a class action suit filed earlier this year by Pomerantz LLP in the Central District Court of California. The complaint centers around the breakup between Activision, Blizzard and Bungie, whereby the former sold back publishing rights for Destiny to its developer. Um, Kaczynski uh, alleges that Activision made materially false and or misleading statements and failed to disclose certain facts around the decision. Um, in the firm's loss submission form it claims Activision failed to disclose that the termination of Activision Blizzard and Bungie's partnership was imminent or that uh, this would foreseeably have a significant negative impact on Activision Blizzard's revenues Uh, it further claims that as a result Activision Blizzard's public statements were materially false and misleading at all times Uh, there are details on how shareholders can participate uh, in the lawsuit on the form Um, yeah so what do you make of that
1: I uh, I mean, I I didn't follow the the split of uh, Activision or, or Activision Blizzard given like the rights back to Bungie, so I don't have a lot in in the way of kind of thoughts and feelings about this, uh, and I'm I'm very kind of disconnected from uh, Destiny as a whole. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious if you have
0: any uh, any thoughts and feelings about this. Uh, with these class action lawsuits, um it's it's tough to not look like it's just a kind of let's try and wring money out of these guys so I don't know if they're gonna it definitely it seems activision Blizzard acted in bad faith on this by not kind of making public a huge amount of the details involved um and that's bad um but I don't know if anything is ultimately gonna come of this I know part of their um Record revenues they talked about was was uh, earlier this quarter was they were able to kind of write off the cost that Bungie was putting on them now that they're separated uh so that's even more disingenuous on their part on their part um so yeah, I don't really have much more to add to this only it's kinda it's one to watch and um yeah it's it's um it's a it's a fucking mess. It is for sure.
1: Usually, these things usually are.
0: Yeah, indeed. Uh, moving on from that, uh, just our final story of the week. I put this in as a little bit of a bonus because I thought it was funny. Like we talk about how um, with all studio closures and things like that, um, that um, people are under pressure. They're constantly afraid that they're going to lose their jobs. They're not being paid the right amount for the the amount of. Uh, work they put in. I saw this gamesindustry.biz article about how uh Nintendo of Japan employees work. We we talked at the end of the program last week, I think it was about how Iwata, when he was still alive uh and the Wii U was struggling, uh rather than put people at fear that they were going to lose their jobs, he uh took a complete pay cut um so that no one had to be fired um, because people under pressure of losing their jobs can't create the art that they wanted from Nintendo. Uh, and this kind of bears out in some of the details, uh, a recruitment page on the company's Japanese website offers a breakdown for graduates thinking of applying to the platform holder and reports that the average annual salary is the equivalent to $80,000 U.S., uh, although obviously entry level wages would be considerably lower than that. Um, employees also get potentially get bonuses in June and December, plus a pay increase every single April. It also reveals that the average working day at Nintendo is only seven hours, 45 minutes with staff in head office starting and finishing slightly earlier than those in development. As of September 2018, Nintendo employs 2,271 regular employees. The average age is 38.6 years old. Full time employees can stay at the company for an average of 13 and a half years. Um, yeah, that's I've worked for worse companies. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I'd, I'd quite like those, uh, those perks. That'd be good. I, yeah,
0: Nintendo. These, they seem like good people, you know. yeah that's for sure that's for sure um anyway that that little bonus news story aside we're, we're done now we're going to move into the book club every week we talk about an important game for the past that you should play again or play for the first time you haven't already this week uh we're going all the way back to the 90s to talk uh, a pretty damn weird one it's earthworm jim earthworm jim the soil he did earthworm jim a super super fall jim I Chewy length of warm flesh, but all that came to a crash again. <laughs> Earth, Earth, he's such a groovy guy. Earth, Earth, he rockets through the sky, cruising through the universe, having lots of fun. Here comes Earth and Jimmy, know that he's a mighty one. <laughs> <laughs> Despite his great big muscles and his really
1: big ray gun Jim is still an earthworm, but then he's the only one With a super suit to make
0: him really super strong Jim can be a winner if we only sing along right. Earthworm Jim! We think he's mighty fine Earthworm Jim! A hero for all time! Earthworm! 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 Earthworm, earthworm, earthworm Jim!
1: Earthworm Jim is a series of side-scrolling platforming video games, the first game of which was released in 1994. The series is noted for its platforming and shooting gameplay, surrealist humour and edgy art style. Four games were released in the series: Earthworm Jim, Earthworm Jim 2, Earthworm Jim 3D, and Earthworm Jim: Menace to the Galaxy. The series lay dormant for almost a decade before Gameloft remade the original in HD for the PlayStation Network and Xbox Live Arcade in 2010. Interplay announced Earthworm Jim 4 in 2008, but little has surfaced since. Uh, this is also coincides with the animated television series based on the video game, uh, which was uh, appeared on Kids WB. For two seasons from September 9th, 1995 to December the 13th, 1996. Dave Ryan, I think it's been a while since we've had uh, a game and also cartoon show um, that we are both, uh, I think we're kind of on the similar wavelength in terms of uh, time spent with the game and show and also fondness for both as well.
0: Um, yeah. I, well, I, I certainly, I think I would lean more towards, uh, I spent more time with the uh, the TV show uh, growing up than the game, as I didn't have a Genesis or a SNES. It was kind of a playing in other people's house sort of game for mm-hmm. me. Um, one thing that I was absolutely stunned to learn that I didn't learn until my adult years was that rather than a game based on a TV show, it was a TV show based on a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that always kind of blew my mind but it's worth talking about like, in terms of children's animation and entertainment the 90s was a fucking weird time
1: yeah well everything was meant to be like rad and certainly when it comes to uh, platformers everything was like a mascot platformer um, and you think about you know the early 90s you had the, the likes of your Marios and your Sonics and everyone was trying to kind of get them on that sort of thing Um, and you also had and you kind of saw this with like the likes of you know seven up having a fucking cool spot game for crying out loud um and earthworm jim came along and was like this mascot platformer that wasn't kind of based on appealing to kids to be this kind of cool superhero um it was this game that as kind of mentioned in the intro was this fucking weird surrealist just as as out there in terms of a concept as you could get for a superhero and a video game. Um, mm-hmm. But still wrapped around this very tight run-and-gun presentation with like a wild variety of levels and uh, gameplay ideas. And um, it was one of those games in the 90s that I remember playing as a child that just stuck out to me for how fucking vivid in terms of how smooth the animation was and how just kind of vivid and wild the characters were and, you know, that surrealist humor because at the time I would have been also uh, kind of aware of stuff like Ren and Stimpy and so, like, I I had a fondness for, you know, cartoons that just were not uh, you know Uh, as much as i love something like rugrats or recess i also really appreciated when shit got fucking weird and you know uh like cartoon network in the the mid to late 90s had like i mean cow and chicken is about as fucking Mm -hmm. weird a cartoon tv show that is actually aimed at kids as you can get
0: cow and chicken freakazoid animaniacs in a similar vein to earthworm jim you have the tick
1: yes yes exactly as well um and Earthworm Jim was kind of all of that, but there beforehand and done in a video game first yeah. um and it's still a game like and it's one of those games as well that holds up today um uh, like the the I played the the hD remake um and as you know as as cleaned up as the presentation was um you can still go back and play those original games. Uh, and, you, you know, I, I always kind of go back to our first episode that we did with A Link to the Past and that it is a timeless game, you know, it holds up any under any era. Um, and just because of how uh, clean and, and just how smooth the animation is and just how well the game is presented and just how varied it is in the, the levels and all of the um, kind of different types of gameplay that the, the the game throws at you and that goes between earthworm gym and earthworm gym 2 not so much for the other two um it just it's one of those things that, that holds up uh extraordinarily well um and i just i love the fact that it existed because it came at a time where uh developers were just wildly desperate to get their own you know kind of cool um mascot out there and you know along comes this which has a fucking earthworm in a superhero suit and enemies like bob the killer goldfish and evil the cat it's just mm. I just I love I love that it exists and is as fucking weird as it is because I think I identified with that to a certain degree
0: yeah I think um like even if you just read through a litany of like just go on to like the wiki and read through a list of villains like you're already roaring laughing this like It's so, I don't think we're going to get better in a descriptive term for Earthworm Jim than weird. Yeah. (laughs) It's just weird. It's it's like they kind of went, let's come up with as many wild and strange ideas as we have until we're told no. You know, Mm -hmm. that kind of a thing. Um,
1: Yeah. Um, So to give like a a kind of brief uh, kind of. History on, on how the, the creation of the game was. Um, Playmates Toys were uh, finding success uh, finding success with uh, licenses for or with the license for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, and they wanted to start their own franchise. Uh, and inspired by you know the likes of Sonic the Hedgehog and Sonic the Hedgehog Two, they um, they wanted to start their own franchise with a video game, which was a rare approach at the time because uh, you know you could do it with cartoons and and kids TV shows. Um, but video games were the the in thing at the time, with the Super Nintendo and the Genesis being as popular as they were. Uh, so um, from there, you know, the game's design um, started with creator Doug uh, Ten who had a simple sketch of an earthworm uh, that he presented to Shiny Entertainment. Uh, from there, uh, David Perry and the rest of the Shiny team they bought the rights to Earthworm Jim. And they started developing the game um and from there ted Naple would work with them on the game design creating level ideas voicing jim's character uh while the others worked on you know the programming other characters and game mechanics um there is a, this kind of idea that in a way like earthworm jim is kind of a um it's like a subversion of the mascot plan platformer of the time uh and and almost like satire to a degree Um, Like the fact that the princess, her name is Princess What's-Her-Name, which is kind of like, you know, you can look at that as how kind of throw away a lot of female princess characters, princesses were at the time. um, You know, Princess Peach, God bless her, but she certainly during the time was solely there to be the thing to be the plot device so hey go find her because she's been kidnapped um and it's like it's that kind of like subtle jab at that sort of thing um yeah the 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 show itself uh sorry the the game itself um it's like if you're into those kind of 90s platformers um it, it's one of those to to go back and, and play at any time and it it kind of reminds me it's kind of like it's like the other side of Donkey Kong, where Donkey Kong has all these kind of wild, varied levels in themes and ideas, um, but it kind of takes it like even further because it has the surrealist edge to it as well, uh, and has like all these more kind of memorable uh, bad guys as well. Mm. Um, now, Dave, for the cartoon show, where the fuck do you start?
0: The, I don't know, man. The, like the intro theme, like- I
1: guess, which is still yeah. like one of the best themes of the 90s
0: and you've almost certainly used that for this segment Oh, of course! Um, come on now <laughs> um yeah it's it's tough to parse because like as so the tv show is much more like the second game than the first game the first game is more closely aligned to that kind of just run and gun with some weird characters and like really nicely uh drawn art um from this weird world of Earthworm Jim and then i think it must have been in between these two games that the, the television show started airing and the the second game feels a lot less emphasis on the run and gun and a lot more emphasis on references to the Earthworm Jim universe and characters um but it's got like it's got an incredible the TV show had an incredible cast like Dan Castellaneta of Simpsons fame, uh, doing Earthworm Jim among um, among a number of characters. Uh, kind of a who's who if you're somebody who follows 90s animation, a, a real who's who. Uh, from that, Brad Garrett was in it, uh, deep voice Brad Garrett as the, the Lord of Nightmares. Uh, Billy West of Futurama fame, among other things, is in there as well. Um, And yeah, that show was really in that kind of niche of the likes of uh, The Tick and Freakazoid in particular, those two, uh, of shows that were kind of bright and colourful and zany, so the kids were invested. But when I go back and look at them now as an adult, it was like the humour was pitched way too high for just the kids.
1: Uh, Yeah, although I feel like... um... Possibly the, uh, the the most important uh, person you've left out in terms of the, the voice actors there. Uh, James Cummings, who um, was mm. the uh, voice Darkwing Duck, uh, Dr. Robotnik in Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, fucking Winnie the Pooh, for crying out loud. Um, and he was the uh, voice of Psycho, Bob the Killer Goldfish, and I mean, <laughs> he's just... <laughs> I'd forgotten like a list of some of these bad guys, like you've got lower back pain man um the great fur bearing trout um the great worm spirit, the hamstenator turns his eyelids inside out boy, just yeah. <laughs> Oh man, this fucking show just,
0: we're trying to come up for with a name for a character, so let's describe the character exactly. Professor Monkey it for a head. There you it go. Doesn't matter how fucking unwieldy that title is.
1: Um
0: what I like um, nasal about discharge, lower back pain, man. What what I like about the, the show breaks. as
1: well is that, you know, it would always start with Jim and um Uh, Peter Puppy in like some kind of Wild scenario where they're you know In adversity with whichever antagonist Which usually turns out to end out Pretty badly for them and then it's completely Disconnected to the rest of that episode Um, I just I just it's It's kind of like Animaniacs in that It it has that just kind of just Throwing ideas at the wall and it's not quite In the uh, sketch show Type of presentation that uh, Animaniacs Goes for uh, but it comes close to that, even though it does try to kind of fit the theme of, of an episode together, um, and then everyone gets uh, uh, crushed by a cow at the end because because just because because there's a cow at the end of uh, junk junk your junk new junk city in uh, uh, the original iPhone gym game, and damn it, if there's a cow in the game, there's got to be a cow in the TV show, and mm. that's that's the main thing about. the the television show is that it to this day is still one of the most successful adaptations of a video game for following we talked
0: about it with scott pilgrim it's not an easy thing to do either way to either adapt a property into a video game or to adapt a video game into something else no
1: and it follows the source material like to a t um and i think that like the the characterization of all of the characters um I think, you know, if I was to imagine playing the game and like, how these characters would act, uh, you know, on a TV show, it's, it's kind of what I would want from all of these characters. From Earthworm Jim just being this fucking maniac of a character to um, Psycho being this just kind of sly bastard who uh, kind of sucks up to everyone as well uh, to um, uh, Queen Slug for a butt and just how she presents herself. Like, it just... All these characters are, are presented exactly how I think they should be, uh, and it just kind of adds to bringing this world from this game to life, you know?
0: Mm. Um, remind me again, sorry, quickly, which, which platform was it you played it on?
1: Uh, I had it on the Mega Drive.
0: Yeah, so that was, uh, by all accounts, just in researching this, that seems to have been the superior skew. That blast processing really made the difference. <laughs> I was watching a video that kind of played the the soundtrack in particular, because I really like the soundtrack on this game, um, that, that played the soundtrack, the, uh, the SNES version, and then the Genesis Mega Drive version. And wow, that Genesis soundtrack really pops a lot more. Yeah. Um, and even the art style like there's a lot more kind of color gradient that's in the Genesis version that you don't seem to get in the the SNES version when you put level against level um that it just seems to be one of those cases where uh Genesis was the best place to play it
1: it's really weird because there's so many games from that period like um one of the the, the key ones i think of is the uh, Aladdin um ports between the Super Nintendo and the Genesis version. And, and there are so many versions uh, of different games where they're ported to both. And there's not a consistency on which version is better, you know? Mm. Like, yeah. uh, in some cases, you'll have, like, an Earthworm Jim that the Mega Drive version is better, but there are, like, cases where... Uh, um, I'm trying to think one of, of... Like, like actually, was there a... No, there wasn't a Mega Drive version of Street Fire. I can't think of one. But it, it, it is, you know, something that is... Um, something to look at something we could probably do something with uh whether in an article or a podcast one day but um the really disappointing thing about the tv show is that in april 2017 um apparently netflix was planning a possible reboot on the title of the new adventures of Earthworm jim uh however Mm -hmm. so far nothing has resulted from this announcement uh and apparently uh, it was speculated that it wasn't actually true um
0: It's one of those things where I think it was such a... Things like Earthworm Jim, things like Freakazoid, which there was talk a long time, you know, for a long time about being revived on some sort of digital platform. Um, And Animaniacs, which is about to come back if it hasn't already. Um, There's a certain element, but there's such a product of that kind of 90s era that I I don't think it would work. I, I think ultimately the best thing to do is probably just put out a really nice blu-ray edition or put the the earthworm jim series on netflix as opposed to kind of trying to um recapture the lightning in a bottle you know
1: um possibly although there are a number of uh animated shows in the last 10 years that have their own levels of uh you know aiming more towards weird or surrealist like the likes of Rick and Morty or uh, hmm. Adventure Time that, you know, they have that element of weirdness about them. Although I guess, like, I don't know, I guess Earthworm Jim has its kind of weird, its own kind of corner, niche corner to it in terms of how it presents its surrealism. Um, but I think I think with those types of shows existing, I think that you could take that. and Because again, I think that Earthworm Jim even though it was a product of the 90s, I don't think it specifically feels like a 90s thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that stuff like Animaniacs and Earthworm Jim, I think you could present them to an audience in 2019 or 2020. And I think that... um, I think it could adapt to modern times because I I don't think it actually is like something that is designed because it was in the 90s. It's just it was from the 90s.
0: Um, Give me
1: your elevator pitch. Uh, I would say that uh, the game itself, as uh, as a as, as a challenging, creative, funny, mad experience that was uh, a totally different kind of experience from the other platformers and run and gunners of the time, uh, is a truly truly memorable experience, and that Earthworm Jim is the hero of all, t- all times. Um, and that the animated show is uh, genuinely one of the funniest um, and again memorable uh, animated shows of the 90s That and I was watching a couple of episodes today to kind of uh, catch up with it and it's still, uh, it still holds the test of time uh, I think it still stands up
0: mm. One last bit of business for the podcast now that we've kind of reached the end of episode 135 and that's to talk about the game for episode 136 now it's my turn but I'm going to make an uh, an unconventional strategy here mark and i'm gonna pick a game that has been sitting on a console of mine that i have not played yet but i need you to do the lord's work and get me over the line and persuade persuade me on this one and it's one of your faves from the last few years and timely both in terms of the fact that i need to get this fucking game played and i kind of just need that little extra kick to get over the line on it um, and the fact that um, a, an additional piece of content for it came out in the not too recent past. Uh, next week on the program, Mark, I want you to tell me about Undertale.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can do that.
0: Okay, so yeah, Undertale. Yeah, that's, a,
1: that's a thing I can do.
0: Yeah, Undertale is going to be our game of the week for uh, episode 137,
1: I believe it will be. So you want uh, to play what... Deltarune by next week, is that what you're telling me?
0: You don't have to play Deltarune, but certainly, um, you know, make that case for me. You Uh, know, I can do that. Okay. Uh, That's going to do it for episode 136 of the program. Um, At link to the cast on Twitter uh, is the best place to, or facebook.com forward slash link to the cast to keep in touch with us. Get the content as we post it, the hot, fresh, new stuff uh, as it comes out. Um, at the day to day for me on Twitter individually and Marcus at lithium project um, we have a bunch of different podcasts on our little link to the cast network here um, we have the grapple which is our once in a while pro wrestling podcast uh, I'm probably going to do a special on 16 carat WXW's uh, big annual tournament that I'm going to over the weekend um, so have a look out for a, a bonus grapple posting in the next week or so uh, popcorn social still plans afoot and it's all my fault at this point with work and everything like that that we haven't got that one recorded uh, our Sochi Awards Um, and then uh, they're all available on this same podcast feed but in a separate podcast feed you can listen to Days of Thunder the WCW rewatch, WCW Thunder rewatch podcast with myself and the friend of the show Lee Malone Uh, we're up to our fourth episode where we talk about Snickers sold out, our first pay-per-view on Thunder Road which just dropped two days ago uh, as we record this earlier in the week as you're listening to it any chance um, dave
1: was that a bad show uh
0: it was an interesting show put mm-hmm. it that way don't want to spoil it but uh, i found interesting parallels between uh wcw in 1998 and the movie zoolander so you're gonna have to tune in for that um yeah that's days of thunder it's on its own separate podcast feed so you're gonna have to search for that and subscribe but we usually kind of uh retweet uh, links to Days of Thunder shows as they come out on Link to the Cast, so you sh- on the Link to the Cast Twitter feed, so you should be able to find it relatively easily. Anyway, for episode one thirty six, I've been Dave Ryan. The man of the line has been Mark Robinson. I'm in the middle of a yawn as I close this show, which is very unprofessional, but we'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.